Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And uh, this is exciting. Finally, the day is here. We are reviewing season three, episodes one through three, everything that aired on the premiere date of The Bad Batch. Uh, we were very, I, don't know, I was going to, very thankfully given code. Like, we were very thankful. Disney provided us some code, so we were able to review ahead of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so if something magical happened, like on release day, then you're, you'll, you won't hear about it here. <laughs> but uh, this is exciting. Like, we're, we're finally here. Season three. The final season. The final. Can you guys believe? It's it's hard to believe we are going into the final season. Uh, yep. It's it's been it's been a ride. It's been a roller coaster. I'm excited to look back on uh, this season and the series as a whole later this year once we um, mm -hmm. once we finish reviewing these next 15 episodes. But first, the first we got the first three we're going to be reviewing today. Uh, they're releasing a a three parter. Uh, to kick things off, which I was very thankful about. Uh, mm. As you said, Stephen, they did provide us with the first eight episodes. So we'll give you a little spoiler-free impressions of the first half of the season near the end. Again, no spoilers. We don't want to mm. nope. don't want to taint or, or spoil anything. But uh, yeah, I think that'll be that'll be fun to talk about as well, and just see what everyone thinks as we get further into this season. But mm. before we do that, um. Steven, I just have to say, our our theories in our last episode, or two episodes ago, maybe two episodes ago, were spot on. We were right. We're, we're, we're getting to use in Vong and Ahsoka? Yes, I knew <laughs> oh, it. That's cool. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's actually two episodes ago. But um, The Mandalorian and Grogu will indeed be the next theatrical release on December 18th, 2026. And it starts filming in june so very nice um i think that pretty much confirms our suspicions that they were like ah we don't really have a movie what do we need what can we slot in uh mm -hmm. mandalorian yep. they know how to do stuff great go go <laughs> and i'm okay with that that's not you know it's not not necessarily a problem as long as it's as we talked about two weeks ago or two episodes ago well done mm -hmm. i'm happy yep same yeah. yeah i my biggest thing is please change the title i understand you know mandalorian and grogu but a little bit catchier, uh, please. It's kind of pulpy. You're Star Wars right. often Mandalorian down. Baby Yoda. I don't know why they think <laughs> See, my wife would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. <laughs> get a lot of people coming to the theater because it's up there as Baby Yoda instead of Grogu. I, you know, I could probably live with that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited, right? We're, we're getting more Mandalorian in the theaters and it. It drops in December 2020, 2026, which means we've got about two and a half years. So I think, I hope maybe we'll get a, what do you guys think? Do you think we'll get a season four before this film releases? Or is there going to be no Mandalorian for two and a half years? I don't think they can wait that long, right? I bet you we don't get any Mandalorian before this. I am going to side with Steven, and I wouldn't be surprised if somehow, some way, they kind of, I'm Throw it out there. Maybe have him do an appearance in Ahsoka. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen at some point. 
because to keep Mandalorian in the forefront, but not to where it's going to be overpowering, because you want to build that excitement for that movie coming in 26. So, yeah. And in some ways they did wrap up. We, we talked about it on our review of the time. Mandalorian season three kind of wraps up the story. So maybe they do decide eh, it's, it's fine to wait three years in between new mm-hmm. stories of the Mandalorian and kind of resume their, their journeys in 2026. But we do know season four is in development. So I don't know if that'll be a 2025 and beyond, or if they're going to use the movie to kick off the next season. We'll see. But I guess actually I take that back. I guess I could maybe see a combo sort of thing done where they film them kind of simultaneously. Mm -hmm. It'd be a little bit weird, but not, not that out there. So uh, I'll, yeah, maybe, maybe right. Maybe we do get season four first. Well, Okay, taking or, taking your cue, I could see it happening and then have the Mandalorian Grogu basically wrap up the Mandalorian story if that's a plan. It'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah like a yeah. two-parter. Yeah. Or yeah. I'll, I'll throw another one out, out there just while we're speculating. This is always fun. Um, what if the Mandalorian season four is not about the Mandalorian Grogu and it's Bo-Katan and other uh, Mandalorians? William. They, the Mandalorian, like we, we, we talked about this at the time. Are, is their story done, right? Maybe they pick it up with other Mandalorians in the series, and the we don't actually see Mando and Grogu until the film. I it's think gonna be... you may be right, and that was going to hurt my head. <laughs> yeah, because it's hurting. Welcome right to the Book of Boba Fett starring the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of hurting my head too, Stephen, because what kind of story can they do with it other than let's say the Mandalorians getting some kind of revenge on the empire for, you know, yeah, basically destroying yeah, Mandal- yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, it could be the Mandalorian season four colon the book of Bo-Katan. All right. Well, <laughs> okay. Moving on. Speaking of filming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of filming also and or season two just wrapped filming. So uh, we still don't have a release date yet. I think based on the calendar, it looks like it might be 2025. Um, but at least that series has finished, has wrapped filming or at least principal photography. So that's super yep. exciting. Mm-hmm. And looking then, forward to this one. Uh, sorry? I'm looking forward to this one. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I am too. Um, and yeah, and I guess one more small update since I don't think we've recorded since... Uh, the news happened. Um, unfortunately, Carl Weathers did pass away on February 1st. So, um, you know, our condolences go out to him and you know his family during this uh, their, their difficult time. And we'll see what they do. I think it's too early to speculate what, what comes next. But um, he was such a, a fantastic part of The Mandalorian seasons one through three. And I think they, they did a good job wrapping up his storyline. Uh, obviously, they didn't know this was going to happen. But, uh, yeah, we'll... We'll see what what they if if anything they do in the future. Mm-hmm. Anything else, you guys, before we dive into our review? I think those are the big things. Yeah, that's the big is thing. It, okay, is it time for for the triple episode rundown? Yes, Tom. Wow, Tom, so, what are we reviewing? Well, we are going to be reviewing Bad Batch season three, episode one, the first episode confined. Directed by Sal Ruiz and written by Jennifer Cobit. Cobit, sorry. Um, then it's going to be the season two, season three, episode two uh, episode, Paths Unknown, 
directed by Nate Villanueva and written by Matt Miknovich. And then the third episode is going to be Shadows of Tantus, directed by Stuart Lee and also written by Matt Miknovich. All of these episodes are going to be dropping. Oh, let's see. Not well. Uh, today, probably, as you're listening probably to this. today, yes. So in this uh, final epic season of Star Wars The Bad Batch, the bad will have their limits tested in the fight to reunite with Omega as she faces challenges of her own inside a remote Imperial science lab with a group of fractured and facing threats or with the group fractured and facing threats from all directions. They will have to seek out unexpected allies, embark on dangerous missions, and muster everything they have learned to free themselves from the Empire. So they are going to go out with a bang after three seasons, and they're going to leave an impression on the Star Wars universe. I'll tell you that right now. Well, last we left the batch, it was they were in kind of a dark place at the end of season two. Tech had... Uh, uh, sacrificed himself so that the rest could escape and in that heartbreaking moment, right? Plan 99. Uh, still get a little chills thinking about it. And Omega was captured by by um, uh, uh, by Dr. Royce Hemlock and was taken to Mount Tantis. And one of the things I really appreciate about this season and the premiere in particular, we'll talk about more of this when we get into our spoiler-free initial thoughts before um, of the season, is that they don't really waste any time. They jump no. straight into uh, things, and these for of the first three episodes, really, the first, the one and three are pretty much Omega-centric stories. Like it's just Omega. We don't even see the rest of the batch. And uh, the second one lets us check in on how the the bad batch are the rest of the surviving bad batch are are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, let, let's start. Omega is in prison on Mount Tantis. Oh, she's, she's a guest, William. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, she's she. Let's let's be honest. She's she's effectively in prison, right? It doesn't yes. look like it. She's not behind bars per se, but she's she's she locked up. A- She's locked up. She is a prisoner, and she is basically just doing. Every time you see her, everything is menial for what she's doing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really special about anything she's doing, other than showing up somewhere to get a blood test, almost daily. Yeah, and I I love how say you know doing her lab work, her yep. chores <laughs> as it is. Yeah, and, and I, they I love the the sense of just boredom that this episode mm-hmm. really conveys with even it's like the dripping water and the long shots of she's just she's by herself right uh, she she occasionally will see not say or emory carr or dr hemlock but she's just in this very monotonous cycle and we don't really know how long it's been but it's clearly been many many months at this point has it been six months or or more she's been kind of on her own for a long, a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, she's on her, on her own. And she basically in her, her room, she has nothing. I mean, talk about being deprived of everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even her, her homemade doll, which is really adorable that she makes, right. Is eventually discovered and, and confiscated. And I just, yeah, again, I, I just, I really appreciate how they looped through the day in her life over and over and over and over. The other thing I loved is how they don't waste any time with diving into the thing we've been speculating about for mm-hmm. 
two seasons? What is this thing that makes Omega special, right? She gets her blood drawn, and very quickly, Nala Say is hiding or discarding her her samples and hiding something. And Emery Carr and uh, Dr. Hemlock have no idea what is going on. But clearly, Nala Say is trying to keep something secret. And then we start getting references to M count and trying to preserve the same level of you know, M count in the subject as in the host. And it's okay, so what do you what, what what was your what was your thought when we heard M count get mentioned again? We heard it briefly, I think, in season two, but now in season three, knowing that they're trying to preserve M counts in clone specimens. I mean, it's so it's it's nice to have this confirmed finally. Um, like I said, it was hinted at previously. I'd say it was even hinted pretty strongly in season one that there's some sort mm-hmm. of force shenanigans that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say I, I'm surprised Nala Say is able to get away with this as long as she does. Um, because that I didn't count. The, I should maybe I should have counted the number of like a lot right? fives. On the on the know, not fives fives you know not the clone fives but right alley mark fives, um, but if she's been thrown away. Looks like daily samples. I'm also really curious how or why you could take samples daily and expect different results. But yeah, like this, I mean, I wonder if they're watching it over time, you know, and seeing like, like we don't there's... know what the other specimens are. Are they new? We know they're other clones. Well, yeah, but yeah, are they? Clones. I mean, I guess they're other. I was, I was thinking, are they like newer clones? But no, they're older clones. So maybe mm-hmm. they just want to see. Maybe, we know they're adding something into the blood. So maybe that's what they're testing. Yeah. And it's just on different blood samples. But mm-hmm. in any case, I, I think it's, I mean, again, this isn't new news, but we it is the hardest confirmation I think we've gotten yet. And the third episode, I think, really locks this in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are working towards episode nine's clone Palpatine. Through all of the various shows, yes. that, that is the end state, and that is the goal here. Well, yes, I totally agree with you, because I think it's even set up, and that I'm going to get to this now. I think that's why one of the smartest things they did is release all three of these episodes at once, because I look at it like Andor. If they release the first two episodes, then there's a possibility you could have lost your audience waiting for that third episode to drop the next week, because they're like, where is this going? In okay. this... And then that's, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. And that's why they ended up dropping and or the first three episodes, because it really hit its mark on the third episode. In this one, I appreciated it. They did need to drop that third episode, but Stephen, you you said it correctly. It took the first two episodes to build up to that third Mm -hmm. episode. And that's why I think it was smart for them to take all three episodes and drop them on the same day. Right. Yeah, episode one kind of starts to lay the foundation, right? Mm-hmm. This monotony, and we start to meet um, uh, Omega's, the, the new pet lurker hound uh, named Batcher uh, that she starts to become friends with. And she starts talking with Crosshair, and he, he, he clearly still doesn't, or at least, yeah, he either doesn't pretend about her, or he either pretends he doesn't care about her, or he actually doesn't. I think he's pretending, right? I think he's um, pretending. But we start to yeah, see her forming these relationships with Crosshair, and she has enough freedom that she can kind of walk around the place, but she can't really leave. <laughs> and well, yeah. yeah. And but, so the first episode really starts to lay all the groundwork here, and you see that cycle of, uh, you know, wake up, get a blood test, take care of the lurker hounds and, and Batcher, talk with Crosshair, work on your, her homemade doll, and repeat, and repeat, mm-hmm. and repeat yep. forever. But the best thing I found with this episode 
I liked how she's like, we have to find a way to escape. We have to. Yeah. You know, and then here he's got Crosshair. Crosshair has been through a lot. It appears at this point he's broken. He says that he's tried. You know, you've seen him go through all the experiments from last season. You've seen probably nothing at this point, but you do see him walking with the rest of the clones, totally beaten. And here's Omega, this one thing saying, look, yes, she's got her freedom, but she's always trying to find a way to get out. And he, she even sat there and thinks that the other clone, the, the other, um, um, her, her clone sister could probably be somebody that could help them. And Crosser actually yeah. sat there and gave her the advice of, don't trust any everyone, and she's like, "Well, you don't trust enough." Yeah, I mean, they're they're polar opposites in this way. Yes, like I think this is the thing that makes Omega interesting is even after all of this time, even as she, you know, we see her her hair grows longer uh, in a very in a style similar to Cars as well, which I think mm -hmm. maybe is telling. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, she she is not. Not giving up. She's yeah, she's not giving up. Looking, I wouldn't even say she necessarily has a plan because there is no plan. But she's trying to figure out what the what is the solution here. How do we how do we get out of this? Mm -hmm. She's always optimistic in in stark contrast to Crosshair's uh, kind of defeatist attitude or very negative attitude. And I think that's what makes their pairing so good. Is that and, and we'll see more of this throughout the the season as well. That their dynamic mm -hmm. is one of the highlights I think of of the season. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, right now she has, if we look at the people she's surrounded with in this, you know, not prison, prison, right? She's got Dr. Royce Hemlock, who does not care about her at all and just wants his the job done. We've got Emery Carr, who is technically her sister in a way, um, but we don't really know much more about Emery. I think they teased a lot at the, at the end of season two, and she definitely has some sort of sympathy for Omega, because even at one point, Omega's doll gets taken away when she tries to help the injured Batcher and, and free the Hound. And uh, but Emery Carr gives her the doll back later, so there's something. Emery still cares about her in some way, but it's it's not super clear, and she's certainly more aligned with Doctor Hemlock. And then you've got Nala Say. Nala Say is is almost the mother figure figure in this case, and she's trying to protect Omega, and they're using Omega to force her to do her work. Um, and then you've got Crosshair <laughs> who yeah. has consistently betrayed them and is very negative and it's, yeah, she's not in a great place. Yeah. Um, but so she still keeps her positive attitude and wanting to escape. She does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think the first episode starts to set this up and I, I think actually maybe we should dive into talk a little more. I want to talk a little more about the third episode and then we can talk about the second one, just given that that's almost a, it almost feels like a different story, you know, in, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, one and three are very much a almost a two-parter. Um, so three continues that story, but we start to get more, right? And I know we were talking about um, Emperor Palpatine earlier. This is where we finally get the name of the project, Project Necromancer, and the arrival of... The Emperor himself, played by none other than Ian McDermott. Still got it. Yeah, still got it. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Stephen, how did you feel seeing the return of the Emperor? I mean, it's pretty fantastic. It's. I don't. Have we seen him in Bad Batch up to this point? I don't. I want to say we maybe, did. Yes. I think we saw him with some of the clone retirement type stuff. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but no, it's just. 
it is so nice to see. I mean, like I said, the connection, the through line that we're starting to build through all these different shows and experiences, um, having the emperor here, you know, in a way, in a, a scene that very much mimics episode six of, you know, he's coming to inspect uh, and so on is just, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. Tom, your, your thoughts on, on the emperor and, and project necromancer. It definitely, definitely fits in with trying to figure out the whole M count. And yes, it does lead into the, you know, eventual return of the emperor in episode nine. So I'm really appreciating how this is all building. And we're finally getting a backstory of how we get to where we are within the universe. So, you know, it's, it's, he basically is trying to get to the point where he will live forever. Yeah. And this is a way for him to do it. Yep. You, you know, it's funny. I was, I was just thinking, wow, I feel like we've heard Project Necromancer before. And, and then it just hit me. This isn't the first time we've heard of this project. It was first name dropped in the Mandalorian chapter 23, um, part of uh, season right. three. God, I'm going to have to go back and watch it. The, I, I thought it sounded familiar. I couldn't remember from what. <laughs> so this is when we saw the uh, the Shadow Council, the Imperial Shadow Council that with mm-hmm. the Moff Gideon meets yeah. with. Yep. And we get a reference to Project Necromancer, which apparently Commandant Hux is working on and needed more time to finish. Um, so... Yeah, that's uh, and it's connecting to doc connected to Doctor Pershing's research. So this yep. only cements mm-hmm. that Grogu and all the experiments happening on him. It's all part of the same thing. It, my, it, it's all my, part of the plan. I mean, this will maybe this won't be a surprise, but my assumption is that they're gonna be they're still working on the M count issue even by the time we get to yeah uh, whatever episode not or sorry Mandalorian I guess right. is when it would occur like and that. Omega is some through this show is off of their radar, unable to get to them, whatever, however you want to describe it. Uh, and that leaves Grogu as the only source of their M count needs or you know, whatever, however you want to describe it. Yeah. I wonder, do you think we'll see Hux? I guess is he alive? Com- I mean, Commandant Hux, Hux was alive at least during the Mandalorian. This is 20 years before. So maybe he's not, I think maybe maybe Hemlock is the precursor and Hux takes over the project. That would at some point be my it, assumption, I think. It would do you know the way everything's tying together, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow it fits in. Or like his, again, maybe Hux is like his assistant, you know, his yeah, his protege. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But it's I love that they're tying all these pieces together. Mm-hmm. And that we're starting to get more. And it, heck, even the Emperor, as he we, we speculate about this based on the quote in the trailer, but the emperor himself says that there's nothing of greater importance to secure the future of this empire and, yep. and gives Huck, uh, sorry, Huck's hemlock unlimited resources. Okay, and so, he also stresses they have to keep the project complete secret. Okay. So here's a question. Do you think the emperor knows about Omega or do you think he's just there or that Omega no, basically he's, is, is he's the just key to inspect progress? Yeah. Okay. He just wants to see that stuff is happening. I don't, I don't think he knows about Omega. I don't think he even knows like the specific details. And like mm-hmm. something that jogs my memory, William, is there there does seem to be different layers of Project Necromancer because he's uh, sorry. Hemlock has a line where he's like, I know you're not here just for the exotic projects. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. also here for Necromancer. 
That's like the Zilla Beast, right? You know, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah, it's yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the, the episode two, like the the slither, uh, slither vine creature. Yes. Like it's, I think it's all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I I love that that you know the emperor is he's so obsessed with with cloning and trying to copy both exotic large creatures as well as beings with the force, which ultimately I think is his his goal, right? To to mm-hmm. cut, to be able to clone himself. And it, it is, yeah, it's 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 such a cool concept. And I, I just love seeing this play out and how Hemlock is is uh kind of leading this secret project for the Emperor. Something something that even many in the Empire would, according to the Emperor himself, consider an abomination. Mm-hmm. So yeah. okay, yeah. so here's another question when it comes to the M count and Omega. Why is it this one clone, because of the high M count, and she's not aware of this, is so let's say force sensitive because so, if she's got that high of an M count, I, 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 I find this whole thing fascinating right now thinking about this. So if a, uh, we didn't talk about this with the first part, that whole M count thing does kind of annoy me just cause it's like, I oh, mean, do we really need to like keep dredging this up? Mm-hmm. I suspect maybe Omega is force sensitive. Maybe she is not. What seems to be more interesting is how they actually, I mean, maybe this goes back to like all the weird like fan theories from episode one of like, oh, like, so could you take Anakin's blood, which has midichlorians in it and inject right. it into someone else? And would it then work? Right. The answer, like we, I think we reasonably understood to be no, because that kind of defeats the purpose of what they're trying to introduce, but as like a logical extension. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing here is like uh, <laughs> the equivalent of like type O blood, maybe of like, ah, oh, these are type O midichlorians. They can be given to anyone and they'll just work or something along mm-hmm. those lines. And maybe that is where Omega is special. She is, you know, she is a unique donor or whatever it might be. Interesting. But- That's fascinating because now now I'm throwing it by way of, OK, then how do you how do you explain the Sabine Wren connection? Well, not there's no connection, but the Sabine Wren in Ahsoka. Yeah, I'm, um, the M count thing. And then and then I on top of that, that <laughs> I don't want to talk. I don't want to touch that either. But then again, now I'm thinking about it. Then you're looking at. Well, then why not Boba Fett as well? So the, you know, the why way is it just Omega. Yeah. So I guess the way I look at this, and maybe I'm off base here, is um, anyone can use the Force to some can connect to the Force on some level, but your mm-hmm. M count uh, is a indicator of your maximum strength potential. So the higher your M count, the, the, the stronger your both, maybe your natural affinity for the forces, as well as maybe your potential maximum, uh, affinity for the force. And so Anakin has the highest midichlorian count. So let's all be honest. M count is midichlorian count, right? right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we're all I, assuming I, that. I think, I think uh, we all know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anakin has the highest midichlorian count ever recorded. And that's why he is so incredibly powerful and so talented. Um, and it sounds like Omega has midichlorians. I suspect maybe the either it was I don't think Palpatine knows. I don't think the Emperor knows, but I think maybe Nala Say just was really interested in, you know, probably like a fun toy for her, an experiment, and yep. did something with Omega that Boba Fett doesn't have and the rest of the clones mm. don't have, and somehow it worked. And Hemlock has no idea. He just knows, you know, or I don't think he knows necessarily. At first he's just like, Oh, well, we've we want, you know, uh, we want Nala Say to work. And so we're going to for- 
we know that she's fond of Omega, so we're going to mm-hmm. use Omega yep. as leverage. And he just stumbles right. upon this, oh, oh, wait. <laughs> this this girl is way more special than we had any idea. Mm-hmm. And so I will say, the uh, not the part you were just saying, but the part you were saying before. Yeah, the sorry, I kind of about counts and yeah. things like that. I will say this is the thing I most dislike about the midichlorian aspect is it leads to these types of nonsensical discussions i'll say i think they did a really good job in the episode itself of yeah. not actually raising any of these questions yeah yes. which i totally are, agree yeah yeah omega's blood is key to cloning you know a force user for whatever yes. reason and and that's it like that that's actually the only thing that matters yep um, yeah, totally. I, no, I completely I agree. That simplification. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely yeah. agree because you you start entering all these landmines. And actually, had a chance to um, uh, last week interview uh, Jennifer Corbett and Brad Rao, the uh, head writer and executive producers of the the series, and they said the exact same thing. Right, that the every time they know that the term midichlorian count is incredibly controversial, and so they put a lot of thought into. Every single time you hear the, that the term M count, they very carefully try to, to to phrase it in such a way that it won't trigger anyone or or or, or overpower the story, mm-hmm. and yep. um, and they also try to minimize how many times they say that phrase as well, uh, well so that they just don't have to. They're they're clearly they're, they have to touch on it, but they don't want to. You know. It's no different than like if you go back to the original Thrawn trilogy novels, um, you know, they, the clones, they couldn't make clones because of like issues with like multiple presences in the forest. And the answer is the, like this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omega's blood is just the answer in this case. It is how explains how they get from point A to point B and sets up what I assume will be, you know, the story for this season, which is. Uh, I guess like you both <laughs> watched the full set of episodes. I have not yet because I'm always behind. But regardless, you are I'm representing you, the uh, uh, everyone else. Yes, you're <laughs> yeah, representing I, everybody I, who saw these I episodes. I'm doing my job not as a lazy person that didn't get around to watching in time because I was out of town for this weekend and then busy the week before. But just because you know, I represent all of you, our listeners, so that I you know I keep Tom and William honest and don't spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's been very us, hard. It, trust me. It sets up the narrative thrust of this season, which is we've confirmed that Omega is special. Uh, the key players are now all aware of this. Omega, mm-hmm. uh, well, I guess Omega knows she's special. Hemlock now knows she's special. Now I'll say, no, I, I guess she already knew, but like we are where we need to be to get things going. Right. And the Bad Batch needs to protect her to basically get her away from what's happening. Exactly. Yeah. Keep her out of sight. Yeah. And I do love how the, you know, once... Once Omega's blood is 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 taken and, and Nala say is is pulled away to go look at something else and uh, she can't discard Omega's blood in time and you can I, I just the I loved the 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 way Gwendolyn Yo played Nala say when mm-hmm. she gets pulled away and you can almost hear like the blood drain from her face you know and like yeah it was just all voice acting but you can hear that like oh no. I, yeah. I can't get rid of this. If she's going to be discovered, it was just so well. The acting with there was was fantastic. The the thing that always cracks me up, and I I don't know how I, I feel like I say this every single time we start a new a new animated season, like particularly Bad Batch or you know whatever it might be. I'm always so impressed with uh how 
well animated and shot everything is mm-hmm. and voiced as well. Uh-huh. Where I'm like, oh wow, this is like really high quality. They did such a good job with this. They've never not done a good job with it. Yeah. But like yeah. we talked we talked about the first episode kind of enforcing this boredom that uh and routine that um Omega's fallen into. And everything about that episode feeds into that, but still manages to be engaging and hold you to it. It's I don't know. They do such a great job. I'm always impressed. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree more. And and just even the way you see that throughout the rest of the episode, once Omega, once Nala say realizes, well, it's too late. The sample is going to get processed. I can't discard it. Emery Carr is going to do it instead. She has no idea to throw it out. And even if she did, she wouldn't. Right. Um, they use that that rotating machine uh, as almost like a countdown clock mm-hmm. throughout the entire yep. episode, where yep. you can see. Dung, Every couple scenes, dung, dung, as it tip, you know, turns closer and closer and closer to testing Omega's sample, and it just really adds such a sense of foreboding and tension throughout the episode. That's just yeah, so yeah. well done. And when they when it, they do finally get that sample, oh, you know, like we don't we don't get a lot at the end of this, right? We all we see is what Emery Carr investigates, and and she immediately tells Hemlock to to not harm omega uh and and that the m count was successfully transferred from the host without any degradation and uh that's about it but oh man so well done so let's speaking of emory carr so in the first uh episode that we talked about she at the very end she takes away uh the i don't know the bunny that uh omega has made and then returns it to her and you you start to see some empathy forming in this third episode. You, we see a little bit more, I'd say like she tells Omega that, you know, Oh, like she assumes Omega's feeling sick when she's kind of acting weird. It's like, Oh no, go rest. Um, she tells Omega when they're about to escape, like, Oh no, it's okay. Like I, we can still fix this. You don't need to leave. Um, and at the very end, I feel like she's got a shot where she is looking at Omega's room and seeing the maybe the emptiness, the prison that Omega called it and understanding why she escaped. Mm. I I feel, I suspect that Carr may end up becoming, or Emery may be becoming, the, the Rook uh, to Hemlock, or I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I the think- The foil? The, maybe foil's not the right word either. Like someone working for the batch on the inside, basically someone who also oh, cares about Omega and maybe is going to be the reason that Hemlock fails in the end. But maybe that's that. just me. I don't know if either of you got <sighs> no, no. I I think it makes I, I, a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense because, uh, and again, I, you know, just just putting myself into that. Uh, putting myself into the shoes of where where you would be at this point, right? Of, of course, not 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 indicating one way or another what might happen, yeah, to, yeah. to be extra clear. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know that, but more for our, our listeners, right? We always put ourselves in the in the in the shoes of what is happening in that episode and and speculate. Um so we may or may not this may or may not even be a thing, right? Who knows? Um, yeah, I may be totally off base because I haven't seen anything. Exactly. You could be off base know. and or you could be right on and who knows? You will never know. Um, but yep. we're going to speculate. I mean, we will know because the episode will come out. <laughs> we'll eventually yeah. we'll know. But we're going to speculate as if we have no idea, right? Uh, and so, you know, I think I could see Emery being someone who kind of joins 
the batch in some ways because she she seems that definitely has that sympathy uh for omega she even gives omega the toy back in right. in the last episode and so well yeah. then it will also play into omega telling crosshair you don't trust enough mm-hmm. so that does that is a possibility that could happen because well, it, there is that trust that she is building with emery right and it and it continues a theme i think we're seeing throughout uh, all of the Bad Batch. Like, well, when we, we'll jump back to episode two in a moment, but episode two features, you know, three clone boys that the Batch pick up and help rescue eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, season two had a lot about, you know, clone retirement, what is the plan for them, et cetera. I would, I would posit, high level, as we look back on the show, the Bad Batch has always been about what happens to the clones. Mm-hmm. And it is told mm-hmm. in a macro level and then told in, in the micro level through, you know, the Batch themselves. Right. Um, and we know Emery, Emery is also a clone. You know, mm-hmm. maybe not in the same way that everyone else is. But I, I think that also is playing a role here. So I wonder if the goal of this, the overarching story we're telling here is not about Omega, not about Project Necromancer, but yep. is about how do the clones find some semblance of peace in the aftermath of the empire and the fall of the Republic? Well, I'm well still going to point to, go, no, okay, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Tom, go ahead. I was just, I was just saying, well, I completely agree with Steven. No, I, that is I exactly agree. what the story is, is all about. Yeah. And I agree because again, if you're talking about threads, they have to explain and they're moving toward, you still have to go back to star Wars rebels where you see Wolf and Gregor and Rex basically in retirement and the empire knows they exist. So those threads have to be building at this point and leading to hopefully for the clones, a positive ending. We don't know what's going to happen to the bad batch, but for the rest of the clones, Emery included, that should be a positive ending because we see that in rebels. Yeah. I mean, it is the yeah. dark time. So we, I, I will hope is. they have a positive ending, but I'm not holding my breath, but, but maybe well, for the batch, for some of them. I think the batch could have, you know, we'll see. Um, but okay. So, so Emery, she, she starts to process the samples now and Nala say is, is off the board. So she quickly tells Omega to escape. It's, it's too late. There's nothing she can do now at this point. And so Omega grabs uh, the the data pad, uh, Nalase's data pad, and grabs Crosshair, and it's it's time to get out of there. And I love, you know, Crosshair is constantly telling her, we need a plan, we need a plan. And Omega goes in with zero plan. Rightly so, right? She has to get out of there. Mm-hmm. But she picks yep. the worst possible day to try to escape because the Emperor himself is there. <laughs> the worst Although possible I day, did... but to it, go ahead. I was like, I did laugh that that ends up not really mattering. Other than no, not at all. She can't get to a shuttle. Like the emperor leaves before she makes an escape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or before she like is noticed escaping, I should say. Like yeah, the timing on it worked out really well in her favor. Yeah. <laughs> she got yeah, very, I mean, one might say the force was with her. Well, the force was with her, but also you would think that would be the best time to go because everybody's basically there to serve the emperor and all the guards are there. So basically it did leave a hole for them to to get through. So it yep. was perfect timing. Yep. Exactly. So, okay, so let's talk about their escape, right? Uh they they come up with a plan to use Batcher's empty kennel to try to escape cuz the 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 these 
what are they called? Uh, the pet lurker oh. hounds. The lurker hounds. That's what they're called. Uh, they're used to patrol the outskirts. And they the first episode, the pr- very beginning of the premiere, actually establishes that the outskirts of Mount Tantus, that jungle, is incredibly dangerous. Uh, it, when another shuttle yep. goes down, even Dr. Hemlock doesn't want to send anyone out to rescue the 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 soldiers on the shuttle because they're they're already dead at this point. And now oh, what you gonna do? Yeah, now yeah, Omega and Crosshair soldiers. are going right out into it. And uh yeah, I had a it, feeling. Uh-huh. Well, I had a feeling that yes, they're gonna go out into the jungle, but I did have a feeling that Batcher would be the one that would come up and save him because Omega was the only one that sat there and gave him any kind of um sympathy for when he was wounded because mm-hmm. They were going to get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, Steven. I was like, I appreciated they paid off on the like, you know, you meet you meet the good dog and the dog yep. survives. That's yep. all. Good job. <laughs> Dave Filoni, yep. you did it. That is A plus work right there. <laughs> and then the good dog comes back and saves the day. Yep. And he gets totally to escape. He becomes part of the batch, I assume, eventually. Like, I'm so ba- Batcher's yeah. part of the batch. Now, what do you think of of, of Batcher, Stephen? As a, I know you, you're you're a big dog guy. I, uh, I yeah. I mean, I he's got a pretty cute face, you know. He's got the paint going. Uh, he mauls, you know, his enemies, you know, mm-hmm. on behalf of Omega. So a plus doggo is what I would say. <laughs> I I would say he's a good boy, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Galaxy's Edge one day, to where you could adopt him, like you could adopt the Lothcat. Yeah. Oh, I and could, that would be funny. I could see that. I could see that. Played by D. Bradley Baker. So once again, a one-man show. <laughs> wow. Yep. Just Jeez, don't even man. need anyone else. Just D. You know D, what? He's so talented. He, I he's love so him. talented. But in this case, he just proved he's his own best friend. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was interesting. During during one of the interviews with with D, uh, you know, we were, we were talking with him and he 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 mentioned that early on, it used to be a challenge uh, early on in the Clone Wars when they didn't even know if having him play a bunch of different clones was going to work. And he was, he was really freaked out, but you know, over time he's relaxed a lot more into that, what he calls the magic trick of jumping from scene to scene and clone to clone. And, you know, the writing is so, he says so clear that it's, it's easy for him to just jump between the characters now. And so that's mm-hmm. always interesting to, uh, to hear. Cause he's just so, he's so good at what he does. So talented. Yeah. Oh my God. It's yeah. kind of ridiculous. And not kind of, it is ridiculous. Yeah. He, he probably is one of the most talented voice actors I have ever seen as just as far as what he is capable of, of doing and how he can keep all the clones straight. It is, it's, it's crazy. And even with, you know, an engineer, right. Who can maybe pull up what the clone sounds like if, if needed, just the fact that he can jump between all of the characters is it's, it's impressive. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Batra comes back and saves the day. We see them fight off like some kind of weird monster in the dark. Uh, it's not there for very long. Um, and then they, they what is it? Plan 72, I believe. Uh-huh. To uh, kid, like take a shuttle and off they go. Relatively like straightforward for them too, honestly. Like it was, mm-hmm. you would think, you know, because cl- there's what? The one clone commando and a troop of, I guess that's not the Empire's finest legions yet. Um, <laughs> but they, they have no problem working their way through like quite a few of them. It's kind of, kind of crazy yeah i mean you do have like yeah. crosshair is a is a pretty elite uh, uh soldier and omega's she's she's grown up with the batch so she she's uh she's true. no true. True. no slouch herself but yeah it, it it was a it was a nice very straightforward i think escape but um like we got this giant 
you know, it's some nice action, right? The giant bear-like creature that attacks him in the in the woods, in the jungle, mm-hmm. and um, and then uh, ha- having those commandos come out after them, right? And uh, the, their their whole trick is like basically distract. Uh, you know, Omega tries to steal, steal the trooper ship while they investigate the down shuttle from that was out there before. And, and Crosshair tries to to hold them out, and just some of the way they shot the action sequences, like seeing the light go out in the commando's visor when Crosshair mm-hmm. takes him down, which is oh, so good, very well shot, very yeah. well shot. But the one thing you have to bring up with Crosshair that we haven't addressed yet, Crosshair is, you will say, or I, I'm going to say, damaged mm-hmm. because you do sit here and watch him every once in a while. He is still elite, but he's got a shake and basically his trigger finger. To where he probably, if he was at his best, would have been able to dispatch everybody a lot quicker than he did. But because of all the experimentation they've done on him to this point, he is damaged to the point to where he was telling, as we saw in the first episode, give up any kind of escape. I've tried this. And even at a certain point, he was kind of getting on her. Are you sure? And I can't remember some of his lines, but he had some great lines just like, okay, come on. And then he reluctantly did something because it had to be done. But he is still that bit damage to be a full elite trooper he's still deadly but he's that little bit damaged that we will see later that gets addressed yeah i'm very curious to see where this goes we don't spend a lot of time on in this episode just enough to know right. that mm-hmm. yeah he's got some stuff he's struggling with but right yeah but, but at the end of the day right uh now they're the main reason they're able to escape is because omega's secret gets out they, you know they they were going to be shot down and i don't mm-hmm. think yep. hemlock would have cared at that point right um but that's no, he, when i so, think it goes back to this really interesting dichotomy that i expect we'll see more of which is uh you know as the emperor leaves you know he hemlock and the like emperor laying on think of like this is the most important project it must remain secret mm-hmm. and hemlock has to make the decision decision of do i keep it a secret or do i let her go risking knowledge of Mount Tantus getting out and in exchange, you know, an opportunity to maybe recover the thing I'm you know, trying to recover. Mm-hmm. Right. And initially the, it, the, the calculation is, well, I got to keep it a secret until he finds out that she's actually the only instance of the, the, the test working somehow. Yep. And yeah. at that point he has no choice, but to let her live. You can't kill the one time that the, the project has succeeded. Yep, and uh, and so with the the full resources of the empire at his disposal, he will go after Omega and find her, and that's kind of where the where the premiere leaves us off. It's a it's a, it's such a great ending, right? For the premiere, Omega has escaped on her own, and now what's going to happen? How is she going to she and Crosshair going to reunite with the? With the Bad Batch, uh, I assume so, right? It's not a stretch. Uh, yep. will, yeah. will Hemlock find her? How quickly? What will happen? So many exciting things to discuss. But uh, I do want to know. First, we have to go backwards. Exactly. We have to go <laughs> right, back go because uh, this is not the end. We still have a whole episode about the Bad Batch, them, the rest of the Batch themselves. So, so with that said, Tom, you want to recap for listeners where episode two finds us well it's kind of easy because basically the rest of the bad batch that's left over which is hunter and wrecker 
they're the trying to find Omega. <laughs> yeah, the two of them. Yeah. yeah, they're they're still out there trying to find Omega. You know, where and, and on top of that, we have absolutely no idea where Echo and Rex are at this point. So it's really just picking up with Hunter and Wrecker. Mm-hmm. And it's been months, right? Pre- presumably oh, they've been, been they've been yeah. searching for Omega for all this time and they have no idea if she's even alive, where she is, what's happened to her. It's uh yeah, it, you got to feel for them. Yeah. Yeah, it I think it's pretty telling. Like we start out with I, I don't do we ever get the name of the planet we start out with like the Deveronians and the the Syndicate I think they were called. I don't think I, so. I didn't I didn't see I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't find one. Yeah. It's yeah, very I cool. I think it just they've picked got, up where They've got the full throne room going, you know, the ability to throw people into pits of death because, you know, what else are you going to do if you're a crime boss? Um, it's definitely a syndicate of some sort, you know, a crime mm-hmm. syndicate, but yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, I feel like very telling how like, you know, Wrecker and Hunter walk in They're They're bringing a pike that they are, uh, turning over. seems like mm-hmm. it, it's just them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. It's not a batch anymore. It's basically just two. It's, it's two people. Yeah. Um, and there we talked a little bit, I remember, kind of at the end of last season, we were curious what what that experience was going to be like, you know, if they'd have enough to play off of each other. I think they work. It works pretty well here. Um, but man, they are they are desperate to find any hint of where Omega is. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. feels like they are scraping kind of bottom of the barrel at this point. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they, they literally, um, you know, they captured a pike and delivered him as a gift to the the leader of this syndicate, uh, Isa Durand, um, because uh, apparently her, I think, they, they believe that she knows the location of Dr. Hemlock's lab. And you can tell so much happened behind the scenes because they have like a, 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 a piece of her son, Roland Durand's horn in their hand, in his hand, Hunter does. Uh, which I, I presume they they chopped it off so they could get an audience with her in some way. Like, hey, we'll give you back. <laughs> no, your I, think, <laughs> I think they're they're returning the honor. Like, my read of it was the son had his horn chopped off by the pikes by the pike. Oh, and they were coming and that. They bring the horn and the pike to demonstrate that. Like, no, we like look at what we've done for you. Basically, got it. And how cool was it when they're stepping on that force field? That at yeah, any it's a, moment, it's a nerve-wracking. Is what it's nerve-wracking because yeah, it's so transparent. But how cool is it that at any moment, it's like it's either thumbs up or thumbs down. You either you're living because you basically succeeded in what you you're doing by bringing me this pike, and then they step off, and it's like okay, Mister Pike, you're done. Yeah, down you. Well, even I when mean, like when Roland steps on it, I was like, I would not want <laughs> oh, yeah, to step would, on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No thanks. No thanks. Uh, yeah, so they, they get, they get a location of Dr. Hemlock's lab. And honestly, I thought at first I was like, wow, that's, that was fast, right? <laughs> that they found that very quickly. Um, oh, and, right. unfortunately, yeah, no, it, it makes sense, right? I'm glad they actually didn't go straight to Mount Tantus. And so they find, they, uh, they, they find out the location of this lab, but it turns out it's not Mount Tantus. It's some other abandoned lab. Of course, they don't know that. And, uh, there's a nice callback to Tech's uh, death when mm-hmm. um, they talk about how, you know, oh, well, last time we went in without a plan, Tech died, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they go anyway. and in, well, yeah. I just want to say, like, I, it's been a while since I've seen season two. I The first shot where uh, Hunter and Wrecker come in, I, I could have sworn their armor was way more damaged 
mm-hmm. and scruffed up than it was previously, which I thought was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. And this scene as well, just like Hunter is so much more intense about trying to find Omega. Like you can mm-hmm. tell just again, D Bradley Baker doing an amazing job. Like what, what all this has done to them, like the pressure it's putting on them under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did just an amazing job with it. No, I, I yeah. plus, plus one to that. I think both, both D Bradley Baker and Michelle Ng did such an incredible job. Just, you could, you know, you could hear how all everything they've gone through, right? And actually, Michelle Ng even talked about that. How, you know, she she knew it's been a long time, right? She's been in prison for months with nothing, and you know, Emery is her sister, but she's so cold and emotionally withholding that Michelle Ng thought a lot about how to m- remain optimistic while physically feeling the burden of being locked up in this sterile environment because it's such a dark place. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was, um, she did a, she did a really good job and, and D Bradley Baker did a phenomenal job as well. Just really conveying that feeling of almost hopelessness, but, but determination to find Omega. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but so you know this lab, it was destroyed by orbital bombardment. At looks year like years ago at this point. There's there's vines all over. It's clearly not not the right planet. But they decide to investigate further, and they find out that it's inhabited by a group of young clones. And uh, this was cool because actually some of the clones, uh, Mox was voiced by Daniel Logan himself. Uh, of course, oh, Boba cool. Fett. Um, but you know, there was other clones there too, different ages, right? Um, Box happens to be the group's leader, but you've got uh, uh, Stack um, um, and Deke, and uh, I think a few a few others. And this this planet is is not very hospitable, right? The the clones were they managed to survive and escape before the the lab was destroyed and they've been stuck in the forest ever since. But the, the forest is, is incredibly dangerous. It's filled with these slither vines that were uh, uh, created by the empire. Probably as you were saying, Stephen, one of those like experimental projects, <laughs> right? They're, well, they're creepy. I, do you mind if we jump a bit to the head? I, yeah. I have a theory and I'm Go curious. Ahead. If Let's both... do it. Go ahead. I Did that not look like a Sarlacc to both of you? <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that because I completely Interesting. agree. I completely agree. We've got agree. the maw. We've got the tentacles. I I genuinely thought we were dealing with an experimented Sarlacc that had grown out of control. Yeah, I never I never thought of it that way when I saw it. See, when I saw that base for the first time, there was a part of me that thought it was the same kind of base we saw at the beginning of Andor when we saw Andor as a kid with mm. basically that whole community mm. of kids. That base almost looked the exact same. Yeah. I thought it was a tie-in to that, and then all of a sudden you see the clones. So it couldn't have been that. No. But I, it, it had that look when I first saw it. No, I think you're right, Stephen. I think I think it's not officially... It's never like confirmed explicitly, but it certainly looked a heck of a lot like a Sarlacc at the very end. Mm-hmm. I think that is exactly what they were experimenting with. Uh, I don't know if it's an overly large Sarlacc or something, but it it's it it looks like it. Like especially when it you know when they um, near the end, right? They basically like yeah bomb it and yep. yeah it it looked like it to me that it was coming out of the ground and yeah uh, I agree. Which means we also saw like baby Sarlaccs, which looked like little like alien face huggers from mm-hmm. Alien almost to me. Yeah. Like it was, 
Yeah. Not a friendly planet is the takeaway. <laughs> no. Yeah. How the Super creepy. To survive. I, I just love the creativity there uh, uh, on that and, and how cool they, they were. And yeah, trying to like, just trying to get the power back on in the lab. Like you were saying, uh, Stephen is a, is a very, you know, they're, they're exploring this, this, this dark rundown lab with creepy, you know, face hugging creatures everywhere. It's a, it's not a hospitable environment. Well, on top all. of that, they had to bring Gronky with them. So to get them through that whole base with the mm-hmm. vines to get to the thing that they had to get working again. Yeah. 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 It, it's nice to see Gonky have a, have a role in this. Uh, and did, then you've got he did escape, right? I th- yeah. He goes out yeah. on the back of Wrecker, I think. Okay. I just yeah. want to, I, there was so much going on with the face hugging that was happening with everything going on. I couldn't remember if it, if he made it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, Stephen, I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on the uh the the boys themselves, the the young clones who they almost steal the batch's ship and 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 abandon them. I mean, almost like they're they've obviously been stranded. They're convinced that you know going into the base is you know impossible and they're just going to die. Which, to be fair, that is almost what happened. Um. But kind of like I mentioned earlier, there's this like low running theme that the Bad Batch has of, you know, we are we are doing it for the clones, for the squad, for, you know, all of these people that have been, you know, unjustly thrown aside by the Empire. Um, And so it's awesome to see Mox and Deke, you know, make the decision of like, no, no, we're not. That's not who we are anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we are survivors, but we still we help the squad. And so having them, you know, both steal the ship, which I would have thought Hunter and Wrecker would have like been a little bit better about making sure that doesn't happen. Um, because I feel like it's happened before, right? Like there's the mine, yeah. and <laughs> the Marauders, yeah, the very popular ship to steal is the first thing. But they care about it. Like they're they are here to make it, you know, survive, make mm-hmm. it easy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And eventually, you know, the 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 boys do come around, right? They uh, they manage to to free everyone and escape the planet. And uh, the the base doesn't really. Ultimately, they they don't they they discover that Hemlock has moved his base somewhere else. So it's the the base is not the one they're looking for. Uh, but they have a general sector to start looking in. It's a big area, but that gives them a general direction. And uh, the they take the the young clones to. I'm pretty sure it's Pabu, right? That looked like Pabu to me, where they can hopefully live out a peaceful I, life. I would assume I, so. I would assume so. Yes. Yeah, and so it's it's a nice little self-contained story about how the Bad Batch are continuing to search for Omega, and it gives us a chance to check in on them and, and see how more of these clones are impacted in the galaxy and and how more of these these creatures uh, uh, have been created. I, I I really I really enjoyed it overall. It's a great it's a great episode that that moves pieces forward while giving us more character yeah. moments. It's interesting. This doesn't come through because we talk about these episodes out of order. I was strongly convinced because the episode two ends with them not knowing where Omega is, but they're in the sector. And then in Uh episode three, they're trying to get to the shuttle to send a signal. That was the original escape plan. I was like, ah, Mm -hmm. this is how we have justified why they like are able to pick up the signal and get there quickly. They're already in the sector that's nearby. Uh, And then instead, the, the comms broken and Omega just escapes, you know, yeah, on their own. But I was so convinced for a while that that was the the strings coming together. Mm-hmm. Everyone describe mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's a great point. Yep. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. Any other for... thoughts on these episodes? I, th- I, I think it's a very, very strong premiere. Um, but what do you guys? I, I, I have think thoughts, it's... but I'll, I think I'll leave them to when I'm maybe giving numbers to that, them. In that case, Stephen, do you want to? Oh, you would make me go first. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first <laughs> if you want. I'll go first. No, no, I can, I, I, I can go no, no, first, no. William. Let me, let okay. me ask a question though. Do we want to give individual ratings or for all three as a whole? Maybe let's do each each episode individually. Just, okay. just right. rate one, two, three. You know, you don't have to come up with three different womp rat ratings if you want. You don't. That, that's that may be a bit. Oh, much. that's a challenge now. Uh, okay, we're gonna go on the fly. <laughs> I haven't thought of what I'm gonna do with my womp rats, but I'm gonna definitely try and do uh, a different one for each. Ooh. Um, so. <clears throat> I think these three episodes are a good example of a premiere that is greater than the sum of their parts. Each episode individually, I thought was super solid. None of them, except maybe the third one, would I consider exceptional. Um, But like the first, starting with episode one, so confined, um, it's a very kind of straightforward bottle episode. We're starting to see some pieces of what's going on, but as, like I said, kind of just Omega repeating the same day over and over a couple of times as we learn what's going on. Um, I enjoyed the first episode, but... I think I'm gonna give the first episode like seven and a half wombrats out of ten. Uh, solid episode, enjoyed it, but it it doesn't have anything that was a big standout moment. Um, that being said, my seven and a half wombrats were all uh, like you know obviously uh, Badger had to survive on something out in the wild. He's not getting the food from Omega anymore, um, but thankfully there were seven and a half wombrats that he was able to you know feast himself on and enjoy. Um, but not he took mine. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Tom. That's what happens when you okay. go first. I know. I know. Um, we've we've done it many times before. It's but always... obviously, like he was working his way through that eighth womp rat and kind of got full, which is you know how hence half. That'll be saved for later. <laughs> um, second episode. I should have the names handy while I'm talking. So, Paths Unknown, the kind of Slithervine episode. Um, I'd give this one, I think, an eight. Um, more solid. There's a lot more happening this episode, but. It, at the end of the day, it's very straightforward. It's the Slither Vines are working their way to try and get more information. Um, D. Bradley Baker continues to do an amazing job, like I said. Uh, the desperation that like Hunter feels in particular, I think, comes through this episode very clearly. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. They did a good job. Uh, so eight Womp Rats. Um, ooh. I guess, uh, you know, obviously they were, when they were concocting the Slither Vines, you know, Dr. Hemlock, they had to combine DNA of many different creatures in order to create this monstrosity. Uh, turns out it's just like, you know, 5% Sarlacc and like 95% Womp Rat. I don't know why 95% Womp Rat genes give you that, but that's a that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, all right, third, I feel like I'm going through a gauntlet. I don't know if this is the right way to do this. <laughs> I love this. This is so entertaining. <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing just uh, fine. Shadows of Tantis is where, in my mind, a lot of this pays off. Um, it's really just the first episode it's paying off, because the second episode doesn't really impact it at all. We get the Emperor, we get confirmation on Necromancer, we get Omega paying off all of those chores and, and kind of repetition from the first episode. They all are here. Like, I almost wonder if, like, we even needed the middle episode. Um, but I get that it's important to show the rest of the batch. Um, this one I would give, I think, a nine. Um, just solid episode overall. Um... And, uh, oh, man, I'm, I was doing so well at coming up with, uh, oh, now I'm blanking on what to do with my nine Womp Rats. Uh, you know what? I just We never actually see what is inside the big canisters inside Project Necromancer. Obviously, we're assuming they're kind of like Snoke clones that are being made. But actually, they're starting, you know, it's, you know, now this is getting darker. You know, experimentation <laughs> when you're doing medical stuff. You don't want to start with full humans. So those are actually nine Force-sensitive Womp Rats. <laughs> That they are trying to start with. Um, and if they get the fourth sense of Womp Rats, then they'll move on to 
you know, the full human clones that will become Snoke or Palpatine eventually. So <laughs> I, there you go. There's I love it. You did it. 7.589. Wow. Done. William, go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now I got to go last. Go oh, Tom, do you want to go, go next, ahead. Tom? No, no, no. You run the gauntlet, man. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, Man, at least we're not timing this too. That would be even worse. No, um, no, the uh, and go. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, I really agree with you, Stephen. I think the individually the episodes are good and very good in, in cases, but together they are a, pre- a season premiere that really delivers on all the major questions we have been wondering about, and and whether it's. Omega's force sensitivity or the um, the cloning project, right? And Project Necromancer. Or even just showing a, a, an episode about the Bad Batch searching for Omega in a really well done way, right? It, it doesn't just feel like, oh, hey, they're like the episode is necessary, you know, even, the, even though there's important character moments, sometimes the episodes themselves, the plots are just like, eh, you know, great character moments, but the overall story maybe less interesting. This one interesting from start to finish and and really well done. And so I, I appreciated just how much they show us the different ways the galaxy is impacting the clones at every age and every different part of the you know, the empire. And so I I think they 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 really do a great job of setting up this final season of the Bad Batch and setting us on the 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 right path. So I think I'll I'll start with um, uh, episode three hundred one. I'll give it eight and a half Womp Rats out of ten. I really liked just that monotony and and how they shot that uh, the the episode and, and made it just you just felt that sense of um, time passing and and kind of the the hopelessness. Um, and so yeah, eight eight and a half Womp Rats, and um, you know I. Once Emery Carr, you know, she she does give Omega the doll back, but at that point it's already been confiscated, so Omega starts making eight and a half Womp Rat dolls as well. Uh, in episode 302, this one, you know, it, it kind of takes a little bit of a detour, and I'm glad that it's a three-episode premiere. I think we could have seen this episode be even part three or part four, but I'm glad they did it the way they did and, and, and kind of ended on... And actually, I wonder if maybe... I wonder if episode three was originally supposed to be the second episode of the season. They were going to have a two episode premiere and then one about Omega, yep. them searching for Omega. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Cause you don't want her to escape and then still be searching for her and she's out there. And so this, it was, it, it was placed in the, in the right moment. Um, seeing another syndicate was really cool. I love the look of the episode. Uh, Hunter and Wrecker are always fantastic and getting to see more of these clones. And so, uh, I overall, I think I give this episode seven and a half Womp Rats out of 10. And, um, what they didn't see were the giant Womp Rats in the jungle. So whew, that was, that was dangerous. And then episode three, uh, Shadows of Tantus. I think probably all agree best of the, of the three for sure. Seeing the emperor was just so good. More information about what this Project Necromancer is and how it ties into the Mandalorian and and uh, Episode Nine and all these great things, so so good. Overall, like I I just I can't say enough good things about about this and the the Omega crosshair dynamic is just fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna give this episode nine Womp Rats out of ten, and these Womp Rats, you know, the secret to 
um, M count, uh, to avoiding M count de- degradation is by using just a little bit of Womp Rat DNA. Believe it or not, that 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 solves it. Wait, wait. How did Omega wow. get Womp Rat DNA, William? Uh, oh, there was an accident. Uh, she got scratched by a Womp oh, okay. Rat long time mm. ago. Uh, yeah. It makes sense. It happens. Yeah. It happens to the worst of us. Best of us. <laughs> oh, so yeah, overall... I, I really enjoyed the premiere and I am excited for what it sets up the rest of the season. Tom. Wow. No, I have to run the gauntlet. <laughs> um, first off, I have to say, I do really appreciate they did all three of the episodes in one drop because I think the way the story is set up, it is outstanding the way it is. You do get the feeling with episode two, there is a break between episode one and three. You could take episode two out episode two out make it episode three and combine one and two. But I think in this way, you get to see both parties. I'm going to say both parties because you get to see Crosshair and Omega in the first part of it. And in the second part of it, you get uh, Wrecker and um, Hunter. You get to see their stories before you get to see, go back to um, Omega and Crosshair. So I appreciate that. And it was the best way to drop the episodes because to me also, when it got to episode three, it was like with Andor it really started kicking everything into high gear at that point. So when it comes to the first episode, I am giving the first episode an eight. I really appreciated how they set everything up when it came to Omega, basically being a pawn or just a a working ant inside somewhere that just kept doing a day-to-day thing and the boredom was setting in, but she always had a thing to where there is a way to escape And at some point she was going to get that through to crosshair that there is a way to escape. And as we saw, that did happen. I'm giving the episode an eight. My eight womp rats. Hmm. I think basically they're just running around the facility, getting into mischief. I'm going to be very nice to them at this point. Um, Maybe they're, I don't know. Maybe they're going to sit there and, and run around with Batcher and all the hounds. I don't know but they're just running around the facility of of Mount Tantus. Episode two, I am going to give that one an eight as well. I think the best thing about it is you get to see that Hunter and Wrecker are not giving up on Omega. They're trying anything and everything possible to find a way to get her back, but it's also appreciative to see Wrecker kind of, kind of pull Hunter back on his, you know, mission of sorts, but, it's kind of like Hunter Hunt records like that little bit of, of the conscious for Hunter to kind of pull him back. So appreciated that. I also liked how you had the three clones at this case. So, you know, that it wasn't just, you have the younger clones, you have the older clones, you have basically let's call them teenagers. They're the ones in the center. So the clones still age um, and they're still out there. And it was nice to see that they probably will have a life somewhere on Pabu. So, I am giving this episode, like I said, an an eight out of ten. Those eight womp rats, well, to keep those three clones uh, occupied while they were on the planet by themselves, they were basically the pets for those three clones of Deke, um, Stack, and and the the uh, and the other kid. Sorry. Um, so that's with that. This is so hard to go through this, man. All three of them back. I know, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's like, fun, though. This is I'm why we don't there. do episodes this way. <laughs> no, we don't. But then again, with this last episode, this is going to be fun because on this episode, I definitely agree with the three of you. Three, two of you. <laughs> There's three of us on the show, but the two of you are already gone. I oh, I also- cloned myself, Tama. So you you're- <laughs> Okay. Um, 
So I am giving this one, and I agree, a nine. This was the best of the three. I think it needed to be dropped the same day as the other two, because in this, you really get to see where the episodes are going at this point. The stakes have been raised because now you know exactly why Omega is important. And this was the smartest thing for them to do is do it this way. So my nine, I'm, I'm, you guys have said enough. I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. So my nine womp rats. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm running out of ideas. I'm like, maybe they're running around the forest with Batcher. And they were basically with Batcher trying to keep him fed. Maybe they were the ones that were running around just creating mischief. I don't know. Maybe they took off with the Emperor in his shuttle and they're going to create mischief in the Emperor's shuttle. Because you know what? The Emperor was able to leave. And they decided to leave the planet anyway because they didn't want to be experimented on because who knows what happens at Mount Tantus. So I'm going to say this. Those nine Womp Rats, they stowed away on the Emperor's shuttle and they're going to basically give him a boatload of mischief before the next time we see him. That's why whenever we see him next time, the Emperor is probably going to be all ticked off and really, you know, puts the kibosh on the, the Empire. I don't know. Good enough. I think we all deserve a round of applause for surviving that. I wow, it. that hurt, man. I felt <laughs> like I was rambling like you wouldn't believe. Oh, but I love I it. I definitely agree. That last episode was just that out of the three. They were all very strong episodes. It was very hard to even say episode two to even go with that reading because it was also, to me, very strong. Yeah. But out of all three of them, the third episode, I think, is the strongest of the bunch. Yeah, I think I think it was you, either you or one of you two, because I know I didn't say it, but like I think you're right. I think this was originally maybe a two-part premiere. Uh, one and two both work as two parts of a single episode that yeah. definitely give the energy of the premiere, and then they added the third because like, oh, well, we we should show the rest of the batch, and I think mm-hmm. it ends up working that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the only weird thing is if they had done that, it, I feel like it would have been weird to have Omega escape the planet and then have the batch still be looking for her. I think mm-hmm. it, it it works really well to have her still be in prison and then escape. Right. But I agree. It feels like it was a too far. Either way, the three episode premiere was the right choice. So, well, I, yeah. I also think that if they didn't do it this way, my, my feeling would be, yes, you could end it with a cliffhanger with Wrecker and Hunter. But I think at that point, like it was with Andor, I felt that you may have lost people because you're, you're mm-hmm. leaving with that big of a, a cliffhanger or, or that kind of a break. They'd be like, what's going on? I mean, yeah. is this is this really worth it to watch that next episode? Because are they going to pull something else again to where it may not deal with what we just saw? Doing it this way, it kicked everything into a high gear to where now you are so invested in the story that the next episodes are going to be at a point to where they're going to explain these three episodes to pay off what you just saw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, coming up on Ion Cannon, next week we have our review of The Bad Batch Season 3, Episode 4, titled A Different Approach. Uh, We'll talk more about uh, the episodes once we uh, get into it, but it is going to be an Omega Crosshair episode, which should be fun. William, would you be fair to say, like, again, I haven't haven't seen this yet, but it sounds like this is really going to be an episode where it's going to start with one way, and they're just going to come at it from, you know, not that way and go another way. Almost like a different approach? Is that that what you're saying? (laughs) That's a great way to describe it, actually. Yeah. You know, you just gave away your intro to the next episode. Tom, 
I think you overestimate my ability to remember this joke okay. and that I won't do it again <laughs> in the next episode. Okay. So, but I, I appreciate you think I will remember this. I, I thought oh I, I thought my I, gosh. No. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Well, before we wrap up, uh, I just want to give very briefly, without giving any story spoilers, I think let's just talk about our impressions of the next five episodes. Um, and then the, the structure it's steven spoiler approved exactly exactly better. so mm. um i guess I'll, I'll, a couple a couple things I, I one of the things i really like about the first half of the season is it it is um it's everything we've wanted from previous seasons as far as the structure goes you know i think we talked about this at length in previous uh, uh season one and season two but as great as as sid is as a character i think it, it kind of the the show suffered a little bit from that mission of the week feel. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas this season has a lot of, even though there might be episodes kind of like the second episode that we saw in this, in this premiere, they all have deep meaning for, you know, where things go. And, you know, you can have self-contained character driven episodes, but it just doesn't feel like, Oh, Hey, I got a mission of the week that I was assigned to me by someone who's, not caring about me at all like Sid um and so I really like how this this season tends really has freed itself from that structure and and uh it's much much better for it and we get a couple two-parters throughout this as well which is which is really great um you know uh I I, I'm excited like Batcher is a great new member of uh the Bad Batch family and, and, and a great character um it was fun We'll see a lot more familiar faces, as you saw in the trailer. Um, I think most of the shots from the trailer were probably from the first half of the season. So there's a lot we don't know about. And no, because no, I no, because I think I've seen some trailers that are out there now that there's some stuff that you're looking at just going. I don't remember seeing some. That's of that true. In the first so half. maybe, maybe, maybe some are from the other. But I, I, I do think that the trailer kind of almost undersells how good these f these eight oh, episodes it definitely are. Does. That Not I that agree. the trailer was bad, but it you have to think like the bad batch, the show has always been unlike the clone wars, right? Clone wars was about the, the war and the galaxy, you know, changing and all this stuff. The bad batch has always been a much more personal tale and that's what makes it so good in so many ways, but it's also very different. Uh, and so you're not necessarily going to have like the, you know, the, um, siege of Mandalore style episodes, we're going to have these great character episodes and the talking about whether it's, you know, Mount Tantis or, and, 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 um, uh, project, uh, uh, necromancer, like we saw in this premiere or just the way Omega and crosshair interact and, and their relationship, which is just phenomenal. It, it's a much more personal tale. And I, I really, really, really love the first, uh, half of the season. And I'm excited to see what happens. I don't know. Tom, your thoughts. I'm going to say you basically summed everything up the best way, because if I start saying anything, I'm afraid I'm going to start spoiling things because <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to the back half of this. I enjoyed the first, the first half of these episodes. I want to see where it's going based on the trailers. Cause there is a character that we all know that in one of the trailers I saw, he appeared again, that we saw him in the first episode, he appeared in a trailer again. So we're probably going to see this character again. When it happens, who knows? But I just, I just want to see that they get a very fitting wrap up to their story. And I'm happy that the show is going out 
on their terms because mm-hmm. that's the appearances of the first eight episodes we've seen. The, this show's going on on its own terms. So they're writing exactly how they want the characters to end up at the end. How that's going to be, we don't know. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it at this point on how they get there. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, I love that you said that because that's something also that D. Bradley Baker mentioned, right? Um, coming into this final season, he, um, he said he really, he was very grateful that they get to have a satisfying conclusion. It was, mm-hmm. he, it was very heartening for him to hear that they were going to end season three where they did. Um, because it was a really sour note to when the clone wars was so abruptly canceled when Disney acquired Lucasfilm and they didn't get that chance to have an ending. Now, of course, eventually they did, right? They, they, they were thankfully able to go back and finish the clone wars and it was so fantastic, but, um, there was a, it was a long gap and they didn't really get to have that closure for a long, long time. And so, um, that's one of the things he said. He was just so happy when they're like, yes, we're actually going to go out on our terms. Thank goodness. Cause if you think about it, he wasn't in rebels. Right. And so, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't get to have that rebels ending. Uh, so this is really the first time a star Wars series is, for him is, is ending, uh, properly. And so I, I feel for him there and he's, t- he's totally right. And he teased, you know, as we saw at the end of season two, they're not afraid to make things happen. So we'll see more of the fruits of that this season. One other interesting note for the interviews, um, Michelle Ang dropped a little hint about the end of the series. Uh, she said that her favorite moment with Omega is actually the season three finale. And they had a few options for how it could end. Uh, so there were some options and experimentation that they did. Uh, and it's really the culmination of her journey as a performer and Omega's journey. Um, Interestingly, though, uh, she also noted that Omega was originally set up with the possibility of a very large future, and then that changed. So she had to set aside those expectations, which was bittersweet, and go with the new approach. I don't know about you guys. That sounds to me, now maybe I'm reading too much into that statement, but that certainly sounds to me like the show was intended to go on longer, and it's they ended it earlier. What do you guys think? maybe um i that also reads to me a little bit like maybe they either had plans to integrate omega later on in the timeline or they didn't have plans and then made a decision to That's true yeah but yeah i don't know now i'm 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 very curious now i'm yeah, yeah. so am i so, so am i but we'll, we'll see but <laughs> but again it, gets, it always gets back to sadly they're not able to tell the full story they want to but they're ending this on their own terms and they're able to figure out a way to do it. Yep. And you that's know, the and most important who, thing. Yeah. And who knows, maybe again, because of the way this, this whole star Wars universe is who's to say that they couldn't start doing this in a book. I mean, it could launch a series of bad batch books. You never know. I, I don't want them to go into comic form, but it could go into the comics. It just seems like at this point, when it comes to animation, the bad batch, animated series is going to be going on their terms the way they want to go out. Yeah. The story can continue whichever way they want at that point, if they want to continue the story somewhere else. Agreed. Yep. Well, I think that wraps up 
our review of the Bad Batch season three premiere. It's it's great to have the Bad Batch back for one mm-hmm. final season. Um, stay tuned because we'll be back next week with our review of the fourth episode of the season titled A Different Approach. Thank you guys for listening and may the force be with you. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, the Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.